I could wear, I could wear the hat. <laughs> Put it down there. Right, I don't want to sit in a corner. Come over here a bit. Okie dokie. So, Beatitudes, that's where we are. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, as it's known, where Jesus gathers, uh, he goes up a mountain and around him is kind of, uh, I guess, an eclectic mix of people that are wondering, is this guy going to say anything new? Because if you imagine these people, they're, they're Jews and They've got these great promises that have been given to them about who they are, that they're chosen, that they're beloved, that they um, will inherit, that they've got this land, that they own it. And yet they've got a history that looks very different. They've got a history of deportation. They've got a history of uh, people ruling over them, extracting taxes from them uh, for very little reward. You can imagine them in this situation that they are second-class citizens where they live. They live in the northern parts of Israel. Most of them live in sort of this Galilee area. And you can imagine that they are currently under Roman rule. So so sorts of things they might experience would be um, uh, poorer sanitation, maybe uh, education that wasn't as good. They're not Roman citizens. And they're in this, and they've heard promises for years and years about this is our God. This is what he can do. This is who he is. And they're thinking, but I don't see that now. I can't see that where we are. And is this guy Jesus, is he just another person that's going to get up and peddle the same stuff? Or is he going to bring something different? And we could say the same sort of thing, couldn't we? We can get disillusioned and say, well, I just, I don't see it. You know, Jesus gives these great promises, but I'm not sure I see it right now. Are you just going to give me the same stuff again? And Jesus uses these simple words, we call them beatitude or blessed are, to explain, well, what does it mean to be blessed by God? What does that look like? Not uh, what does that look like uh, when everything's perfect, but what does it look like when everything isn't perfect? So how can they live the blessed life when they're still under Roman rule? How can we live the blessed life when maybe we don't see the reality of God's kingdom here, now, in place, this second, all happening, everything's perfect, just how we always imagine and how we're told it will one day be. So today we're looking at one of those statements. Um, I've got a PowerPoint somewhere. Oliver's going to bring it up. And the one we're looking at is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's see. I said, will this work? Oliver said, maybe, maybe not. It has batteries. It's changed. Was that you, Oliver, or was that me? It was you. Oh, look, now it works. Yay. <laughs> so Jesus gives a couple of different words about mercy. First one he said, um, we can look at, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So that's quite important, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is similar to, isn't it? Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Second one, be merciful just as your father is merciful. It's an example one. Jesus uh, often, he demonstrates, doesn't he, what mercy looks like. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And the third one um, I'm going to pick up is go and learn what it means. I require mercy, not sacrifice. So that's what I want to think about this morning. Go and learn what it means. I require mercy not sacrifice. So how do we learn to be merciful? How do we show mercy, uh, give mercy? This week, I thought, right, we're doing mercy. I'm going to have to be merciful. So I tried a few things. I tried a few shopkeepers. I thought, I want to show mercy to you. So um, I tried doing that. I I went online. I gave some money. I did some prayer and fasting. I I tried some different things this week. I'll tell you a bit more about them. But how do we learn to be merciful? Um, in Luke's gospel, it, says, um, it talks about showing mercy, loving your enemies, blessing those who ill-treat you. If someone hits you, let them hit you again, apparently. So is merciful just laying down and taking it? Is it just being a bit of a walkover, a pushover, and God will sort of bring justice at the end? Is mercy giving to those in need? Is it just uh, taking the whole thing about if you've got two coats, give one away? Is that mercy? And today, what does it mean to show mercy? We live in a society that loves to blame, don't we? We like the whole scapegoat. Um, we like to name and shame. If someone comes in to do an audit on a hospital or a school, they like to highlight the failings of this school. Um, if something goes wrong in government, they like to, well, let's name one person and we'll blame them. Or we'll blame the previous government. We'll blame anyone but ourself. So what about us as Christians? How do we show mercy to our children? What about work? What about the people we care for? What about globally? How do we show mercy? One thing, though, we can know is if Jesus said, go and learn, and we're ready ready to learn, then we're going to get plenty of examples this coming week to show mercy. Let's pray quickly. Jesus, teach us the theory this morning and in the coming week and help us to practice it straight off and continue. Jesus, help us not to just sing songs, but to live what you've called us to live. Amen. Well, I too looked at a dictionary definition. I chose the Oxford one, slightly different to Martin's. It says, mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, sometimes you can remove yourself a little bit from that, can't you? It gets in quite a judging state. Well, maybe you have to have a lot of power to be able to do that. But actually, we all have power. When I uh, went into Superdrug this week and I uh, bought my, uh, what was it? I can't remember now. Bought something. I had power within me to, um, to do something with that shop assistant. I could have just looked down and given her the money or I could have engaged with her. I had a certain amount of power there. And I've got power not just in the little things, but I have power in my family as well. I can um, punish them or harm them by ignoring them or being a bit bad-tempered or cross. And I've got power globally 
because I can, I can do stuff. I can choose to buy certain things at the supermarket or not buy certain things at the supermarket. I can uh, do online campaigns. I can write to my MP. We all have power. This guy, um, Henry Nouven, I found this description. He says of compassion, it grows with the inner recognition that your neighbor shares your humanity with you. This partnership cuts through all walls which might have kept you separate. Across all barriers of land and language, wealth and poverty, knowledge and ignorance, we are one, created from the same dust, subject to the same laws, destined for the same end. And he's writing this when he talks about compassion. Remember, mercy is two things, compassion and forgiveness. We look at compassion first. So he's saying we're all distinct, we're all different. And often it's so true, isn't it? When the first thing we notice about someone is how they are different to us. How rare it is the first thing we notice is how similar we are. He's saying we're profoundly the same. We might have different dreams, but we all know what it is to have unrealized dreams, unrealized hopes aspirations. Your neighbor might lose their job and you might not have experienced that, but you do know what it's like to have your ego bruised a bit or feel rejected or have your confidence knocked. When we look at Iraq, we can't even begin to know what it's like to have lost everything, to be on the side of the road with your family And you're unable to feed them. But we do know what it's like to feel helpless and desperate. And often we know what it's like to cry out to God and sometimes hear nothing back. We share something, don't we? We have uncertainties and aspirations and disappointments. We have fears. We want the same things. We want our friends to be loyal. We want our family to love us. And a culture like ours doesn't really want us to acknowledge those fears and disappointments and failings. Um, I read this week about Facebook that the the modern culture almost wants to dictate what is the perfect number of friends you should have on Facebook. And we're constantly pushed, aren't we, to present this persona of perfection, that I have it all together, I am a success, I don't have any problems. And we might do that through um, a cheery grin at work when life at home is not great. We might do it through a bombardment of smiley pictures on our Facebook page or other social media. Or we might do it even by a hearty hello and a little giggle as we come into church. Society wants us to hide it. And perhaps that's why depression's high and celebrities take their lives. And children, I read uh, just this week, as young as nine are struggling with self-harming. Because the pressure to present something perfect is so strong now in our society. People who seem to obviously not succeed or refuse to present that are often not given jobs, are they? 
or they're excluded from friendship groups because actually I've got enough going on and I don't have room for you. In the story of the Good Samaritan, a man is beaten and left on the road and two people who seemingly have it all together walk straight past. But one man stops. He doesn't ignore the man. He identifies with that man, not necessarily because he's been beaten and left on the road, but he knows what it's like maybe to feel helpless or degraded or bruised. He doesn't know anything about the man. He doesn't know why it's happened. He doesn't know if the man deserves his help or not. He doesn't know if the reason he's in that is because he started it. He knows nothing of this man. But when he looks at the man, he sees himself. He sees a man that struggles. He sees a man that um, maybe is dejected and left and helpless and naked and lost. And compassion, we can say, begins with that recognition that we are all on the same journey. We have the same struggles and we have the same needs. They might look vastly different, but fundamentally, like he says, we're from the same dust. I like that. We're from the same dust and we've got the same end. So that's compassion. Sorry about that. (laughs) Let's look at forgiveness next. We struggle in this area, don't we? Because it is so painful. It hurts. Does it not hurt? Let's think about forgiveness. Um, I've, I've got two examples. One very radical and painful and hideous and one just sort of every day. I've got one where a friend of mine... Um, she, it was our shared house. I was away. A guy broke in. He assaulted her. I was left a wreck after that. And God spoke to me. Um, I was on a retreat. I took five days. It was horrible. Then like that sort of thing. Then like being on my own. But God said, you need to forgive this guy. And I did it in obedience. And it made a massive radical transformation of what I was experiencing in life at that time. And if you can ask me about that afterwards. The second one, more recent, just a a friend who I thought was close um, rejected me in some way. They weren't quite the friend that I thought they were. I left with a barrage of hurt and despair and rejection. And I just am angry with that person. And I'm hurt and I'm crying and I've sobbed. But God calls me to forgive, forgive my friend. John Wesley, um, he learned about a British general who had beaten um, a sort of lower ranking person to himself, beaten him mercilessly. And so he marched up to him and said, you've got to forgive. And the man said, sir, I do not forgive. And he said, well, I hope that you never offend Because Wesley was thinking of that, wasn't he? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we're not willing to forgive, unforgiveness, I like this, has at its roots an exaggerated sense of one's own goodness. It's built on the wobbly premise that I'm inherently better than someone else. Thus, I have the power to judge and punish. But I don't know about you. 
I know that I have thoughtless things. I know that I do helpful things. I know that I treat friends badly, and I certainly have in the past. Our criticisms are often uh, desperate attempts to hide our failings, aren't they? How often do you see someone really berating about somebody, really going for it and saying, oh, that person, da, 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 da. And you, you can see it so clearly, can't you? Actually, you're exactly the same. We see it, don't we? We often see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. We think, I'd never do that. I couldn't do that. When I look at my friend's actions, though, I see a friend that does what I could do. I do, I see it, I've done it, and I know I need to forgive, but it hurts, I don't want to do it. I forgive, as in I'm going to do the obedience of Jesus, I forgive her, I forgive him. But to walk in that forgiveness, well that's a different thing, isn't it? That's going to hurt, because I've got to mix with that friend now. What about the trust of this friend now? What about if this friend does it again? How does this relationship work now? But that is the gospel, isn't it? A gospel of forgiveness. It takes immense courage to forgive, despite the pain that we feel. And in forgiveness, we say to someone, I don't condone your actions. I I do hold you responsible. That hurt me. But in them, I see my own actions. And I realize I could have done it too. And like you, I'm justified by grace alone. I'm going to read from um, this book. It's brilliant. What Jesus Meant. Anyone read it? I recommend this book. Very good. Very simple. Very practical. Uh, Beatitudes and a Meaningful Life. Here's a story that he puts in it. I like this. It's a good example. It's American, so you'll have to sort of go there. Anthony is a 26-year-old drifter from, a northern, from northern Oregon who could be considered something of a poster child for the war on drugs. A large, imposing man with stooping shoulders and a vacant stare. His rap sheet is littered with a wide array of drug-related arrests for everything from weapons possession to dealing to possible involvement in homicide. Suffice to say... That at face value, he is the kind of guy likely to elicit precious little sympathy from our society, determined to isolate itself from the degradation and danger he epitomizes. Anthony is a man, as the saying goes, only his parents could love. Or could they? When he was four years old, Anthony watched his father threaten his mother by holding a gun to her head. When they divorced and his mother struck up a relationship with another man, he had to watch them manify, manufacture methamphetamine in a shed behind their home. At their command, he would bring them sandwiches and drinks. He was forced to sit quietly while they worked, all the while inhaling toxic fumes that they were a byproduct of their operation. He saw addicts come to their house, buy their meths, and then inject it. He was introduced to the drug himself by his mother's boyfriend. Anthony was beaten both by his mother and her boyfriend, often with closed fists. He was forced to sleep on the floor in their house where rodents crawled at night. 
His father, whom he visited on occasion, later married a woman with an older son who attempted to molest Anthony. Scratch a little anger and you'll find a world of pain. I don't know how long it was between the first time he was a victim of a crime and the first time he was a perpetrator, but I do know that he was first arrested when he was 19 years old. I also know that prison represented the first time in his life he could be guaranteed three square meals a day, a bed to sleep on, and health coverage should he take ill. So what is justice in Anthony's case? Perhaps it's punishment tempered with mercy, judgment, dependent in understanding, and sorrow grounded in love. I don't know what I would have become had my parents raised me in this way, nor what my daughter would, there but for the grace of God. I think it's really interesting to read it, isn't it? There but for the grace of God. We don't know, do we, what we're capable of if we were put in that situation or with those parents or in that country or in that family or in that school. Forgiveness is recognizing in another person that we are capable of that. So let's look at mercy, combination of compassion and forgiveness. Does it mean we just lie down and take it? Is it softly, softly? Is it just that need counseling and understanding? Is anyone going to be held accountable for their actions? Can we do this and simultaneously show them the kindness of God? Well, if compassion comes out of a sense of shared need and forgiveness, shared failure, then mercy is surely shared pain. We've experienced how Christ is compassionate to us. We have seen how our confession, he meets it with forgiveness and the world needs this too. Like the story of the good Samaritan, we're told to love the man back to wholeness. But we also call the thief to repentance. But remember we do it out of that profound understanding that we need both. We are called by Jesus to be merciful in the world that desperately is bereft of mercy. There's um, a movie called Dead Man Walking. And in it, it tells us, um, based on a true story, of this woman, Helen Pregen. And she visits um, people on death row. And she makes friends with this guy who has murdered a couple. And uh, she becomes friends with him. And she also visits the victim's family. She goes to see the father and mother of the woman that was killed. And she offers them compassion. When the father learns that she um, is also visiting the man in prison, he cannot get his head around it. He asks her to leave because he cannot comprehend how someone could simultaneously love the perpetrator and the perpetrated. It's mercy is no light matter. It's not easy to do. Jesus describes it as a weightier matter. How easy it is for us as a church to get caught up in small issues like how the coffee will be served or where the chairs should be put. When actually this is a weightier issue. 
We know this well, don't we? The prophet Micah says, God's shown you what's right. Act justly to love mercy and walk humbly. To go for justice and mercy, humbly acknowledging that you've been shown compassion and you've been shown forgiveness. Jesus perfectly shows it, doesn't he, in the woman caught in adultery. Those around her are are baying for blood. They want justice. They want this woman to be stoned and they invite Jesus in and say, come on, this is what the law teaches. And he reminds those who are so passionate about keeping God's word that there is more in it, that Jesus, that God commands mercy, mercy. And think about some of the issues around where people can get uptight about, um, get rightly, you know, angered by um, the state of abortion and how many take place and how old the child can be and whether it's right or wrong. But what about mercy? What about the other side? What about offering to say, any child, I will adopt them? What about saying, I will pay for you during this time to carry this child? What about saying, hey, come and live with me? It must have been really hard for you. There's another side, isn't there? I was thinking in Southampton, we've got the Firgrove Trust, haven't we? That offer counseling to pregnant women. Anyone can go and they'll offer you unjudgmental counseling to help you make the right decision. When Jesus leads them before, uh, is led before this woman, he says, I want you to look at her and I want you to share her struggles. I want you to share her failures. I want you to see in her what is actually in you. And one by one, they walk away. This month, uh, we, we heard already, didn't we, that Basics Bank is our charity. And I was thinking, well, how do they show mercy? Well, They don't feel sorry for the person and give them food. It's not pity. They show them compassion. They recognize we could all be down. We could all fail in some areas. Maybe we could stand there thinking, oh, I I would never let my family get in that situation. But maybe we're failing in other areas. Maybe we um, can't control our tongue or we can't control our weight. It's just the same as not being able to control your finances, isn't it? It's the same thing. And I was thinking, we can be a part of that this month, can't we? We can jump in. We can say, I'm going to show compassion to you guys. And Basics Bank goes further, doesn't it? It deals with justice, so it campaigns the government as well. It seeks to bring about change. If we think about it on the Good Samaritan, it would be like us saying, I'm going to show compassion to the man. I'm going to ask for justice um, and forgiveness for the people that beat him. But I'm also going to campaign for some safer roads. I'm going to hold those things together. And we've also got Breakfast Club, haven't we? That offers food to people who may be homeless or just Things aren't working very well that month for them. Now, if we just give them food, that's not what they need, is it? They need compassion. So they can come in, they can chat, they feel human, they get eye contact, you can talk to them, how's things going? And it's that recognizing, isn't it? We look different, maybe, but we've got shared things in common. We both 
Both of us want our families to be happy and healthy. Both of us want to have friends that are loyal. Both of us want to have love from our family. Both of us want to have um, ambition and, and see something realized in our lives. Both of us want to have some value. And it's a chance for them to hear about forgiveness if they want to as well. This week, Jesus is inviting all of us into his school of mercy. Are we ready? Hmm? Maybe. It could be small acts while you're driving to work and you're stuck in traffic and someone shoots up that outside lane that nobody else is in and zooms to the front of the queue and everyone's like, I'm not letting them in. We could be showing them mercy this week. We can practice the mercy that we've received. Whenever we're struggling, we think of Jesus on the cross. Why is he on the cross? Why is he on the cross? He simultaneously holds justice that we deserve and mercy. He offers us forgiveness and compassion. He says, come to me. Come to me. I'm not, he said very clearly, I'm not here to condemn, I'm here to save. Come to me and receive forgiveness and compassion. That's not that what you've done is okay. It's not okay. But come to me and receive forgiveness and compassion. This week, showing mercy is going to cost us. It's going to be painful. Let's get ready for that. It might cost our emotions. It might cost our bank account. It might cost our pride. But whenever we're feeling the cost is too high, we look to Jesus, the ultimately merciful man and God. So, let's get practical. Here are some examples. And what I want you to do, skim down, see the one that you think is relevant to you this week, or if none of them are, just choose one. Talk to the person next to you. How are you going to show mercy in that situation? Off you go. Oh, should I read, do, I need, do you need me to read them? No, you're all right. Go for it. Okay, just to finish, please carry on talking afterwards. I want you to have a chance to talk because I just thought, well, not everyone's meeting for house groups, so we should talk about it. So talk about it during coffee. But the final thing to say, isn't it? It's always important, isn't it? Whenever we talk about something like this, it can become like we're beating ourselves a bit. That God's mercy, we are fully secure. That even when we fail to be merciful, He is always merciful to us. Every morning we can get up. I failed to be merciful. God says, I am merciful to you. Here's some more mercy. And we've got that promise, haven't we? That when we are merciful, when it's cost us, when it's painful, when it's tricky, he says, I'll be merciful to you. He will refill us to the brim with mercy from him. We're going to respond by singing. If um, anything's 
touched this morning, you want to talk about it, or you want to come and pray, if you're struggling with an area of forgiveness in your life, maybe you just say, well, I want to forgive, but I don't, the other side of it's not so easy for me. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe you would like to be more compassionate. And please feel free, um, even now, maybe afterwards. Now or afterwards, prayer corner's here. I'll be down there. I'm willing to pray with anyone. If you've not experienced Jesus' mercy, if you're ready this morning, you say, Jesus offers me mercy. He offers me compassion. He understands me. He offers me forgiveness. He says, come to me. If you want to come to Jesus this morning, you can do that too. I'll be down the front. Jesus is always welcoming. He's not here. He didn't come to condemn, but to save. And he loves you.